Stem cell science is changing medicine and our understanding of human development. Learn more with the Stem Cell Channel. Visit uctv.tv slash stem cell. I am really happy to be here to present the most recent work that I have been working at the, uh, Caltech in, in the Chi Lab. Um, my work aims to understand how cells make developmental decisions in mouse and human development. I divided my talk like in different topics. I'm going to talk about my background and professional experience, the activities I want to be part of UCSD, and then the two main uh, projects that I have been working on. And the first one is a special analysis of RNA distribution during early mouse embryogenesis. And the second one is notch signaling that regulates uh, cell phase choices during uh, human um, development. And I want to conclude my talk by talking about the, how I envision my lab and then the future directions that I want to take as a principal investigator. So I was born in Colombia. I think it was I was very fortunate to be able to be born in one of the most diverse countries in the world. Um, that made me amazed about uh, where this diversity is coming from since I was a kid. And I was fortunate to have parents that were supporting me all the way. So I was, uh, since very early in my age, in my life, decided to become a biologist. So I did my, my undergrad and master's uh, work in Colombia and focusing on orchid diversity. So I was a plant biologist there. So working there uh, in, uh, on um, evolution of orchids, I found that there are some patterns of, of uh, that the special plant, these special plants acquire during evolution, and I wanted to know further where all these uh, special features were coming from. But uh, being in Colombia, uh, I didn't have opportunities to study really developmental biology the way that I wanted to study and using model organisms as people use here in the U.S. Uh, and doing all this molecular biology. So I decided to pursue my PhD at Northwestern University. Uh, and then during my graduate research, I proposed and tested a novel hypothesis uh, for neural crest formation and really found the origin of these neural crest cells that are unique to vertebrates and that have the potential to become other uh, cell types when other cells in the embryo have lost the ability to do so. So I really uh, kind of started to build a bridge between embryonic stem cells and neural crest cells. And those findings uh, opened uh, my mind a little bit more, and I'm now I'm trying to understand really how those cells make developmental decisions from really early in development. And as a postdoctoral scholar at the California Institute of Technology, I really wanted to to use the techniques that were developed at Long Kai Lab. So I was a developmental biologist com coming to a technology lab to ask some uh, really deep by developmental biology questions. And um, currently, I'm quantitatively studying the distribution of mRNA during early mammalian embryogenesis using humans and mouse um, as a model systems. I was fortunate that during my first year, I was named a Hannah Gray Fellow that always speaks about my commitment to DEI and seeing to inspire uh, underrepresented scientists through my work.
Some of the DEI activities I really want to be part of, like here in UCSD, is to actively participate in faculty and graduate students' process, advocate for equal opportunities for funding and uh, laboratory space for, for everyone, and uh, create programs for students and postdocs to allocate funds that pay for childcare. I'm a mom, and I was a mom as a, as a postdoc, and I really know how important this is for avoiding the leaky pipe that we have uh, right now in the system. And I want to foster earliest uh, interest in STEM in young kids, because I think just by by planting the seed really early in development makes a difference. And this is some work that I have been done since I was a PhD student at um, Northwestern University. So now I'm going to talk about the hardcore science. <laughs> so during early development, the mammalian embryo sequentially generates different derivatives and, the, and different lineages. So we all know that the totipotent, uh, the, the fertilized egg is totipotent, meaning that it can give rise to any cell type in the organism. As development progresses, this potency is lost, and then the embryo has to uh, make different developmental decisions. The first one, which will be the first part of my talk, is whether to become pluripotent cells or uh, form extraembryonic tissue that is going to form uh, the placenta. And from pluripotent cells, we know that all cells in the embryo are going to be formed. The second part of my talk uh, is going to be focused on understanding how cells go from pluripotent cells to uh, actually leading to the foundational lineages that are going to form the embryo, that are the ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm. And from these lineages, all the cells in the embryo are going to be formed. And why do we care about this? Totipotent cells could allow to deriving all the extraembryonic and embryonic phase of the developing embryo. So we are now facing an era that we have a lot of models to studying human development or mammalian development in vitro. But these models lack some of the cell fates that are created in the natural embryos. I am interested to know what transcription factors and signaling inputs are required for the totipotency uh, of cells to be maintained and what this stabilizes their totipotent state and induce differentiation. And I want to do this because early human development frequently fails naturally, as we were discussing with Katriona uh, recently in our uh, talk. Like many pregnancies are. Uh, failed between the first trimester of development. And by understanding how normal development occurs, we can understand what's happening in these early stages of development. And we can potentially bring light to have more tests of IBF embryos that could be successfully implanted into mums. So I'm really interested to understand how do individual totipotent cells in early mammalian embryo begin to differentiate and when. And I use mouse uh, embryos as a model system to study this question. And my hypothesis is that really totipotent cells maybe are not as equal as we thought. And maybe a special temporal distribution of mRNA, <coughs> mRNAs within and between cells in the same embryo could give rise to the differentiation of different cells. 
So I use mouse embryos for multiple reasons. Uh, first is that they are transparent and they are small. And second, because the first uh, main developmental decisions happen only in four days of development. So from uh, zygote to two cells, you have the maternal to psychotic transition. So uh, uh, transcription starts to happen around this time. And then uh, between eight and 16 cells, we think that the first self-aid decision occurs. And this self-aid decision is between either the inner cell mass cell, which is depicted here in yellow, that will form the pluripotent cells, and then we call it the inner cell mass cell. From this uh, group of cells, all the cells in the embryo are going to form or become trophectodermal cell, which is depicted here in blue, that will form uh, the placenta that will be important to attach to, to the mom, to form the placenta to, that is going to be attached to the mom. So these kind of questions are, has been uh, asking in the in developmental biology in the field for a long time. Uh, some single cell transcriptomics methods has been used to reconstruct these developmental um, trajectories, but these methods involve uh, involves uh, cell dissociation of whole embryos, sequencing, and reconstruction of development. And despite they are very powerful and then allows us to know which molecules are present at given time and then in the abundance of them, these methods ignore special distribution within and between cells that I think are going to be key to understand many developmental processes that happen that early in development. And then also, it's important because complex developing tissues have unique RNA and protein expression patterns in cells that are located in different places in the in, in, in positions. So for example, here we can see uh, early, mam early mouse embryo in which the red protein is marking for pluripotent cells that are uh, expressed only in one pole of the, of the embryo. And then the green, the green protein is marking the trophectodermal cells that is kind of surrounding these pluripotent cells. And also we can, we, we can see here in human gastroloid that there are gastroloid that are concentric rings that are uh, especially organized into different cell fates and, and the position of the cells and then what they are expressing is really important to understand how development occurs. So when I arrived to the Chi lab, I was amazed by the techniques that they developed. So all the techniques that we use are based in something that we call single nor, uh, molecule fluorescence in situ hybridization and then we call SMFish. Using SMFish, we can max, map MRA transcripts in space in high fidelity. We base the techniques in the development of uh, that was made in 2006 by Arjun Raj when he was in uh, at MIT under Final uh, of the Nardens, um, uh, guidance, and then he has this clever idea to design multiple probes against the same species of mRNA that were fluorescently labeled. So when you uh, um, image the, the 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 sample that was previously hybridized, you can see single dots that represent a single molecule in 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 this um, embryonic cell. And this is an this is an example of M uh, mouse embryonic stem cells. So uh, 
single molecule fish allows us to detect individual mRNA molecules in each cell. So we can see, for example, here expression of two different uh, mRNAs, the names uh, doesn't matter for now, but we can see not only uh, how much expression do they have, but also where in the cells these, um, these uh, mRNAs are um, actually present. So the first experiments I did when I arrived to the Chi lab were to actually adapt single molecule fish to mouse embryos. And then this is a housekeeping gene that we call EF, that is called EF2. And uh, we can see that is homogeneously expressed throughout the embryo. This is a four cell embryo. And then the way that we assess RNA quality is really simple. We design probes against the same mRNA species, two sets of probes, one of the sets have one fluorophore and the second another fluorophore. When you do the imaging and colocalize the images, if the, if the colocalization is perfect, you can say that this mRNA is intact. So when you have this, you are confident on the data that you are getting out uh, different readouts. But I faced a huge problem when I was doing this experiment is, um, is that until now, most of the experiments that were done doing special transcriptomics or, uh, using sick fish were done in a monolayer of, of uh, either cell culture or a tissue section. And I wanted to map mRNA molecules throughout the embryo that is 50 to 70 microns thick. So I had to, com like to, to combine clearing uh, protocols and adapt them to embryos that they are very, very fragile, embryos and, gastro and human gastroloid colonies, and actually uh, work on the, with different settings of the microscope to be able to map with high fi fidelity single molecules throughout the, the whole embryo. So when I had that developed, uh, we started to do sequential fluorescence in situ hybridization that we call sick fish. And the way it works is also uh, very simple. So we designed mRNA props again, uh, against props against mRNAs of interest. So we designed between 25 to 30 props per species. And then what is different from the original uh, um, single molecule fish is that the secondary readouts are chemically designed to be able to strip off uh, after the, the secondary hybridization. So in this way, like for example, if you have three channels in the microscope, you can image mRNA one, two, and three and they strip them off, and then in the second hybridization, just hybridize mRNA four, five, and six, and strip off as many times as you want until you get the mRNAs of interest. And we can do this because we have amazing engineers in the lab that design a robot that is doing the work for you. So basically you uh, hybridize primary probes at the same time and the secondary probes and washes are made with this confocal imaging and microfluidic, microfluidics automated system that enable this sequential imaging over time. So you can do, for example, place the sample uh, in the afternoon and then have the microscope running throughout the night and the next day you come for the data. And this is how it looks like. So this is a, a, 
of a four cell mouse embryo they were looking at the expression of ef2 and here we'll, we are we're seeing that with high fidelity i can map mrna uh, at the single molecule resolution uh, really well in a really in a thick tissue and here, when we strip off and hybridize the first uh, readouts, this is how it looks like. So we can see uh, clearly that the first three mRNAs are being expressed in this uh, image. So after getting the, the data, we had to develop a pipeline for studying um, these um, uh, quantitative, being able to quantify the molecules and being able to do uh, some uh, systems biology approaches to understand em embryonic development. So in collaboration with Nicolas Pelaez from the Elowitz lab, we develop an uh, automated uh, nuclear and membrane segmentation first that will allows us to uh, uh, look at the create objects like a mask um, that we we will be able to uh, detect the single molecules in each C. This is just a small example that I have here, how we do it. And we can just do downstream data analysis. So this demonstrates for first time that we can not only detect single molecules in, in, in a whole mount mouse embryo, but also that we can do quantitative analysis. And this is uh, an example of EF2, which uh, we demonstrate that uh, both of the sister cells have similar spot intensity and distributions and quantification in both of the cells. So this is kind of my proof of principle that the technique is working. So now when we had that, we started to ask interesting questions like, uh, do different cells in the early mouse embryo differentially express mRNAs before the specification of this cell fate? So in the field, it's been known that the first cell fate decision in mouse happens between eight and 16 cell stage. And as I told you before, this decision is between becoming pluripotent cell or inner cell mass cell or um, trophector that is going to form the placenta. Currently, there are two models that explain how this uh, decision is made. The first is the polarity model that uh, really like the, exp the differential expression of the proteins upon cell division will, will generate a cell that have two different proteins that will generate trophectodermal cells and uh, cells that have only um, expression of one protein that is called a polar uh, will form inner cell, inner cell mass cell. And the second model is the positional model, which stands for the, like, is the position of the cells within the embryo that is going to be important and critical to be either inner cell mass cell or trophectodermal cell. If my hypothesis is correct, uh, we will find early asymmetric mRNA distributions early on in development within single cells in the same embryo that could potentially give rise to subsequent um, differential RNA expression that would lead to future cell fate choices. So I decided to do a pool of uh, about 200 mRNAs for my first experiment. And then I included, of course, pro uh, mRNAs encoding from proteins that are important for supporting either the positional or the uh, polar, uh, polar, polar model. So what I found is, for example, in COAFIAS, we can see here is 
uh, homogeneously expressed uh, in four cell in the four cells of the of this uh, mouse embryo, and this NCOA5 is described as one of the key proteins that is important for the polarization model. In contrary, mRNAs such SOX21, uh, we found that it's differentially expressed already at the four cell stage. And then it's uh, largely unknown, that, uh, largely known that SOX21 is marking the presumptive uh, pluripotent cells. So I wanted to look also at the at SOX2, that is a pluripotency market. And SOX2 is really lowly expressed at these stages of development. But one of the advantages of this fish is that we can actually detect the abundance of SOX2 um, or low, or low uh, transcripts, which uh, show us that SOX2 is also differentially expressed at the four cell embryo, as we can see here. And uh, interest, interestingly, SOX2 is expressed in the same cells that SOX21 is expressed. So we did the same analysis with many molecules, and we found that already at the four cell stage, maybe the cells are more different than we thought. And maybe uh, totipotent cells at this stage are not like the cells are not actually totipotent, and they are already making decisions to become pluripotent cells. So with this sick fish, we, after after the, uh, we, we wanted to quantify these results. So what we found is that mRNAs that were important for supporting the polarization model are actually ex uniformly expressed in the cells. This is the control EF2 showing equal expression of, uh, of the molecules in, in all the cells. What we can see here is that um, we can map the um, mRNA abundance of the cells, and we can see here, uh, for example, in SOX21, that these two cells are differentially expressed uh, uh, the, the mRNA compared to other cells in the embryo. And we corroborate this with also with SOX2 and other molecules. So once we have all this pool of data, we started to do some clustering analysis and principal component analysis to see whether or not the cells at the four cell uh, stage embryo are already differentially expressed some mRNAs. And we saw that uh, these two cells, yellow cells over here, are more similar to each other than the other cells in the embryo. And when we did the principal component analysis, it corroborated that cell, cell number 12 and 10, and 10 are more uh, similar to each other than other cells in the embryo. So we had this data for other stages of development, and then for uh, patent reasons, I can talk about these results, but uh, they are going to be published hopefully very soon. So this data that I, we have right now suggests us that the symmetry of the embryo is broken before we thought, and maybe that the first cell fate decision happens already at the fourth cell stage because of the differential expression and transcriptional signatures that these cells have. These cells have led us to hypothesize that maybe these uh, the cells at this fourth cell stage are already having uh, uh, some level of differentiation. So we started to ask interesting, more interesting questions, like not only comparing cells to cells and what is present here and there, but also about the mechanisms that are probably generating these early asymmetries of mRNA abundance between sister blastomers during early mammalian embryogenesis. And I hypothesized that maybe 
oscillations of global transcription could be a mechanism by which early asymmetric RNA distribution give rise to this first cell fate uh, decision as early as four cell stage. So to test this hypothesis, I decided to generate uh, a slightly different props. So I designed uh, a prop props against the intronic regions, and I randomly chosen a thousand mRNAs, and I I designed the probe that they all have the same secondary readout. So in one snapshot, I can see global instantaneous transcription activity that is happening at that particular time in the embryo. So when I did the first experiment in an eight cell embryo, I saw a really um, nice result that shows us that not all the cells in the embryo are actually expressing the entrance and, uh, and that there is um, potentially a differential global instantaneous transcription that is happening between blastomers already at the eight cell mouse embryo. When I did the same experiments using four cell embryos, I found that not all the cells in the embryos present the same global instantaneous transcription, suggesting that the blastomers at the four cell stage already have um, this differential global instantaneous transcriptional activity. So I wanted to multiplex uh, the different techniques and look not only at the introns, which is the pre-mRNA, but also the mRNA uh, in the same embryo, and then trying to cor correlate between instant transcription and mRNA distribution. And then one of the genes that I thought that was going to be very important to see at these stages of development was HES1, because we know that HES1 is part of the notch signaling pathway and is important for many, many developmental processes. But we study them in different contexts, such neurogenesis later in development and also somatogenesis. So I ask like whether or not HES1 is, pre is first present and second, uh, uh, is the if it's present, differentially expressed in the embryo at the at the A-cell stage. To my surprise, HES1 is not only present, but is present and is differentially expressed. And we think that the cells that have more um, intron expression that I'm showing here with these arrows are the same cells that have more expression of mRNA. We can see this more clearly when we quantify. So here, the small dots represent introns, and the big dots represent uh, mRNA of, in this case, has one mRNA. And then we can see that the, the cells that have more introns also have more uh, mRNA associated to, the, to those cells. And I wanted to go further and see other layers of regulation. So maybe if HES1 is there, I wanted to see also if the protein, like the mRNA and introns are there, like I wanted to see if the protein was present. And then when, when I did the experiment, looking at the protein, I saw that the HES1 is present at early, in early embryogenesis and is also having differential expression in the cells in the same embryo suggesting that maybe this oscillatory behavior of transcription is not as crazy as we, as we thought at the beginning. So I wanted then to multiplex 3D6 fish uh, that allows the uh, visualization 
not only to the mRNA, but also to the, to the introns, like the pre-mRNA, but to the mRNA and the proteins. And I was managed to design the secondary, um, the secondary probe to visualize proteins using the same principles that we use for mRNA. So we can now see a couple of proteins in the same sample. And uh, this is how it looks like. So this is the pre-mRNA at four cell embryo, looking at the expression of introns. And this is the mRNA looking at the intact uh, um, mRNA expression of EEF2. And these are like how different proteins look like in the same embryo. So we have this membrane uh, marker and also the transcription factor of interest that in this case is HES1 showing heterogeneous expression within the cells. So as conclusions for this part, I have that 3D SIGFISH was developed to image introns, mRNA, and proteins in whole membrane plantation embryos, preserving special distribution of molecules and cells within the sample that our computational pipeline allows 3D segmentation and single molecule detection of mRNAs and quantification of special di distribution of the molecules within, within the same cells of intact mouse embryos. And that 3D SIGFISH reveals differential mRNA expression of different factors that suggest that maybe the blastomeres that already at the four cell stage are different uh, and not as we thought. And that differences in global transcription detected by measuring introns and HES1 mRNA and proteins at four and eight cell mouse embryos suggest that there could be an early cell uh, fate specification that we could proceed by transcription oscillations. So in the second part of my talk, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on early human um, development. So I just talk about how totipotent cells uh, could potentially differentiate between pluripotent and, um, and extraembryonic tissues. And now I'm going to focus on how pluripotent cells can just, uh, uh, they, how from the signaling uh, molecule pathways, uh, the pluripotent cells are actually becoming either ectoderm, endoderm, mesoderm, or germ, uh, progenitors of the germ lines. And then I'm using... Um, human gastroloid colonies uh, to create um, multiple embryonic and extraembryonic fates that are especially organized. And the way that we do it is really cool. We use uh, induced pluripotent stem cells uh, pluri uh, as a small colonies that we uh, induce using BMP4 uh, ligand to, to form these different derivatives. And what is very beautiful about this system is that we now can have uh, access to more human samples to be able to study developmental biology in humans. And then uh, these, uh, after 48 hours of differentiation, the cells self-organize in these concentric rings that are representing cells from different uh, germ, germ layers. For example, the extraembryonic tissue uh, depicted here in green and, and here. Um, the mesodermal uh, derivatives depicted here in yellow and here in green in the protein level. And then the core of the colony is representing the, the ectodermal lineages over here, showing here in blue. 
what is known about development of human and mammals and many other organisms is that paracrine signals are involved in in this uh, in this process to make like the cells different. And paracrine signals are signals that have a source and diffuse um, and create gradients. And morphogen concentrations are different. And this represents the French flag uh, model that creates um, differential expression of uh, transcripts that are going to uh, form different uh, cell types. So WIND, BMP, and NODAL are uh, widely studied during development. And it's believed that BMP4 induces BMP, BMPs induce WIND, and WIND induce NODAL. And this cascade and circuit is in charge of uh, generating all the differences between the cells during development. And we ask whether or not juxtacrine signals that are cell-cell contact signals are actually important for this um, uh, human uh, development. So Notch is the, uh, was our best candidate to study the juxtacrine signals in the human context. So we use a systems biology approach to investigate how Notch signals generate gastroid colony differentiation. So we use transcriptome analysis using single-cell RNA-seq in collaboration with Matt Thompson's lab. We did a special expression of the Notch components. And also we did some immunofluorescence-based special protein um, expression analysis um, in, at single nuclei resolution that allows us to not only look at the expression, but also quantify and put numbers uh, into our hypothesis. So we hypothesize that if Notch plays a role in early human development, the components necessary to trans, uh, transduce Notch signals should be expressed at the right time and the right place during human gastroloid differentiation. So when we did uh, single-cell RNA-seq, uh, after 48 hours of differentiation, we found um, eight clusters that represent all um, the cell types that uh, we currently uh, find uh, in gastro gastrulation of human embryo. And those are the ectoderm, germ, um, germline over here. The mesoderm represented here by mesoderm two and mesoderm one. That is going this is going to be important uh, later in my talk. Uh, endodermal, uh, endodermal uh, cluster, and we also look at the extra embryonic tissue over here um, in this part of the uh, cluster, and then the epi-like um, cells that are uh, part of the epiblast. So when we look at the notch uh, components, we saw that the notch receptors are actually present uh, in the gastroloid colony after 48 hours of differentiation. So notch 1, notch 2, and notch 3 are present. We also look at receptors and direct transcriptional targets, and we found that HES1, DLL3, and JAG1 are expressed. Importantly, DLL3 is expressed only in the mesoderm. And JAK1 is expressed mainly in the ectodermal area and also some of the ectodermal area and some of the extra embryonic tissue. So not only they are present, but they have some sort of a special um, distribution. 
some of the direct targets from the Hess and Hay family are also present and then also have some uh, special distribution that could be interesting to understand. So in order to see these special differences and whether or not not have a combinatorial potential code that uh, uh, is giving the cells like acting as a, if is like this combinatorial code can be um, acting to be able to regulate when one cell fate ends and then when the other one um, starts, which is was our our hypothesis. We needed to see uh, the a special um, distribution of these um, component, notch components in, in the gastroloid colony differentiation. So we did sick fish against the whole notch uh, signalum. We used the same approach using uh, the multiple um, primary probes against the mRNAs of interest. We um, we look at the single molecule fish of uh, all of the molecules at the same time in the same sample, as we're looking here in this video. Uh, we did some um, 3D segmentation and identification of the, of the molecules in the tissue and some quantifications. The first uh, corroboration that we wanted to have to continue further analysis was whether or not protein and mRNA expression was correlated. So we look at some fate markers such HAN1 depicted here in, in red that is uh, corroborating with the HAN1 expression over here, the protein expression, uh, TBX2. Uh, TBXT that is expressing in the mesoderm, looking at the expression uh, here correlating with the green expression over here, like the protein, and then also the SOX2, uh, which is marking the ectoderm epiblast uh, cell population, correlates with the protein expression. So we can confidently say that mRNA and protein expression is actually uh, uh, matching, and we can just do uh, a special analysis of different uh, of the different components that are part of the notch signaling pathway. We include ubiquitin uh, ligases, like some of the mm, uh, core machinery proteins and um, components. We, we look at the ligands, we look at, look at the receptors and then transcriptional targets. Interesting what we found, not only using sick fish, but also using single cell RNA-seq, is that there are two compartments in the mesoderm that are going to be very key uh, for the for how notch how we think notch is acting um, or um, during gastroloid colony differentiation. So when we looked at the notch uh, ligands, we saw that there are, there are there is a special distribution of JAK1 that is mostly expressed at mesoderm 1 over here compared to mesoderm 2. And also when we saw uh, expression of DLL1, it was mostly expressing the mesoderm 1 compartment com compared to the mesoderm 2. And this is corroborated by the, also the single cell RNA-seq. What was interesting is that not all the components that we found using sick fish were present during the RNA, single cell RNA-seq because sometimes single cell RNA-seq drop off very low uh, expression levels that we can actually rescue using sick uh, fish. So both of the techniques are actually important to be able to see where the molecules are expressed and how uh, and the abundance of the molecules uh, in the tissue. 
um, when we compare uh, the ligands with the receptors, we also found that they could be a potential combinatorial code that is important for uh, understanding notch during human embryonic development. So we found that notch 3 is actually surprisingly expressed uh, mostly at the mesoderm 2, mesoderm 1 compared to mesoderm 2. Uh, and then um, also when we look at the targets, we see uh, that, for example, has HES4 is mostly expressed at mesoderm 1 compared to mesoderm 2, suggesting that this uh, subcellular uh, sub uh, compartment localization of different components of NOTCH will be very important to understand how NOTCH uh, uh, acts during gastroloid colony differentiation. So after this, having these findings, we wanted to know if notch signaling is actually required for uh, human gastroloid uh, cell differentiation. And then uh, our, our hypothesis after finding uh, um, a special distribution of molecules and then single cell RNA-seq, we, we thought that maybe uh, notch was important for mesoderm formation. And when we block signal, notch signaling using small molecules, DAPT and LY, uh, we found that uh, TBXT expression was, was affected. And some of the expression was gone in some of the uh, compartments of the TBXT here if we compare with the control. Interestingly, the endodermal cell fates are also almost completely gone. When we see the expression of SOC17 over here, we can see um, uh, high expression of, of this marker in some of the cells in the colony. But after um, um, inhibition of notch, we can see that these uh, cells are almost completely gone. And this happens at the expenses of the of, uh, um, SOX2 expansion and also HAN1. So we think that NOTCH is acting as surveillance system to be able to say, like, this is the mesoderm. So mesodermal cells start from here to here, and then the rest of the cell fates are going to be um, actually surrounding this, this domain. So we wanted to do some quantitative analysis on this. So we uh, develop a, a way to be able to quantify proteins at single molecule, um, single single nucleus resolution. So we can see here expression of SOX, SOX2, TBXT, and HAN1. So TBXT is... Um, here is the, the um, segmentation and quantification of TBXT, for example. And we can look at the amplitude of TBXT shown here in the red um, um, curve that we can see that um, where, where, when TBXT start to be really high regulated in the colony is when this, the, the, the SOX2 um, cell, cells start to go down. And then we can see that the, where the expression of HAN1 starts to be upregulated. And then when we do the, the, the blocking notch signaling, we can see that the amplitude of, of, of SOX2 is going down at the expenses of uh, either 
um, ectoderm or um, trophectodermal um, cell fates, which means that noise regulates the local amplitude of expression and the position of fate boundaries in human gastroloid colonies. So as a summary in this second part of the talk, I can, uh, I, I, I can say that notch signaling components are expressed during human gastroloid colony differentiation, that the expression of notch components discriminates compartments within individual germ layers, for example, the mesoderm 1 and 2, and that notch activity is required for mesoderm and SOC17-derived cells populations that are deriving uh, endoderm and potentially primordial, primordial germ progenitors cells. And that notch regulates special patterning um, and the relative proportion of cells allocated to different fates, and notch signaling regulates the amplitude of expression of lineage-specific transcription factors that control this gastroloid colony differentiation. So we can map a model in which not only paracrine signals are important for uh, human embryonic development, but also juxtacrine signals are acting as a major player during uh, human gastroloid colony differentiation. And uh, as a conclusion of my seminar, I have that we developed this 3D6 fish uh, method that allows us to measure RNA expression at single molecule resolution, um, especially in intact tissues, and can be multiplexed not only using RNAs, but introns and proteins. Uh, that early mouse embryo blastomeres exhibit differential RNA expression at the four cell stage uh, that could lead us to describe a new principle in developmental biology in which the cells are uh, actually acquiring um, cell fate specification earlier than we thought, and that differentiation of human germ layers combines paracrine and juxtacrine signals and requires notch signaling in human gastroloid colonies. Now, in the future directions and vision of the Buitrago Delgado lab, I want to continue investigating the mechanisms that mouse and human stem cells use to make developmental decisions during early mouse embryo during early embryogenesis. So I want to create comparative maps, uh, transcriptome-wide special temporal RNA expression atlas in the early human and mouse embryos from fertilization to blastula stages uh, to be able to compare uh, evolutionary similarities and difference between these two species. Here we can see a blastula stage human embryo uh, that I luckily had access to, and I apply a uh, sick um, single molecule fish looking at EEF2 to see RNA integrity, and we are confident that we can do the experiments in human embryos the same way that, or similar ways that we do in human embryos. And I want to do this by using SIGFISH Plus that was developed in the lab that enables measuring the transcriptome uh, of each cell, basically. And we use uh, temporal, uh, unique temporal barcodes that can unambiguously identify thousands of mRNAs in situ that can ma map more than a thousand mRNAs in only few rounds of hybridization. So for example, if you have a barcode that uses five different fluorophores uh, in six rounds of hybridization, you can get up to 15,000 mRNAs uh, and map in, and then you don't need mm, like to do the sequential fish, which will be impossible to do uh, with that many genes. 
And I'm very interested to continue investigating the mechanisms that they generate this RNA expression, um, the asymmetric RNA expression during early mammalian embryogenesis. And I want to combine live imaging, like for example, using MS2 systems in mouse embryos to be able to map the transcriptional activity of the cells, whether there is a pulse that generate, uh, that is unique to generate, is um, a unique pulse that can generate differences. So there, there is, um, uh, there is an oscillating behavior that is occurring in the cells in the same embryo that is actually giving us the differential expression of uh, of of transcripts. And I want to combine this with uh, with sickfish to be able to um, tease apart the the mechanisms that actually generate these asymmetries early on in development. And finally, I want to uh, study dynamics of signaling pathway, and I want to combine using uh, reporter lines that we already have in hand to be able to build um, human blastoids that I'm showing here in these pictures that are kind of the next stage after uh, losing pluripotency is to form like these uh, blastoids that comprise by um, uh, primitive endoderm, pluripotent cells and trophectoderm, and by looking at the at the dynamic expression of different uh, um, uh, signaling molecules could be important to understand how this uh, early human development works. And with this, I want to thank uh, everyone in my lab that has been part of the project. This is a multi-lab collaboration between Kai Lab, Eloitz Lab, and Matt Thompson's lab. Uh, Carlos Lois has been really important for input in Notch, um, in the Notch project. And then I also want to thank Nicolas Pelais, who has been a, a really important part of, uh, of both of the projects. And with that, I want to take questions. So we've got some time for some questions. If you want the mic, just raise your hand. Uh, I'll start with a question uh, while people are getting um, together. So when you see the differences in mRNA between the cells at the four-cell embryo stage, how reproducible are those? Like, are you always seeing, like, one cell looks like this and one cell looks like that, or is there a stochastic nature to it? That's a really great question. For SOX21 expression, I, I consistently see repeatedly in different embryos that there is a expression of like in two cells more than other cells in the embryo. And when I corroborate with SOX2, same, same cells are expressing more SOX2 than, than, than the other cells in the embryo. And I repeat these experiments already a couple of times and I, I get the same results. So I'm confident that this is a this is the real result. Yeah, that was brilliant. I, I did have a question about shear stress and flow. So when uh, George Staley and others published a paper on mouse embryonic stem cell development and the cell fate specification, they talked about having to have shear stress flow. And then, you know, obviously others have worked on stiffness of the matrix. Have you thought about putting these in a more three-dimensional matrix and adding flow to your system? Because it may change the outcome and you have a perfect system to set, uh, to look at that. Yeah, no, that's a great, great, great um Suggestion. I haven't. Th I haven't think about that, but that, that could be very doable in the near future. Thank you. Hi, I have a quick question. So, actually, I have two questions. So, one is more on the biology of it. It's 
beautiful talk, amazing image. I've never seen anything this amazing. So um, the first part is as notch pathway goes, do you know which particular notch is important? Notch one, two, or three, or do you see a difference there? That's a really good question. Uh, we did um, SIRNA. I think I have the question, the, the slide here. We did um, SIRNA against notch one, two, and three. And it seems like notch three is really important for for me for it is the receptor that is important for the mesoderm formation in this case. So we were very worried that maybe only using single uh, small molecule inhibitors we will have effects on other things because we know that gamma secretase acts in like super different contexts. So uh, we wanted to, to go further and did um, SIRNA and we found that notch 3 is the one who prevents normal misnormal form a differentiation of the of the um, of the mes mesodermal differentiation. So we think that notch 3 is the player that is important here, which is really interesting because if you know mouse uh, literature, in mouse literature is notch one and two that are important, but we like the more we study human <laughs> development, the more we learn that humans are very different. So that's why I want to start working on more on human development and understanding and learning more about real, the real embryo and the real, uh, in the real context. Okay, that's fascinating. So um, my second question is a little bit more on the technical aspect of things. So so there are a lot of like pediatric, pediatric cancers that's been showing that mutation, for example, can occur really early at embryonic stage, for example. I'm wondering if we can use your technique or if you think your technique can be applied to detection early mutations, for example, using the FISH method. Yeah, that's something that we want to do in the future. In my lab right now, it took a long time to develop the pipeline, the techniques, and now it's like the exciting time to start to do some genetic and CRISPR probably knockouts, and then see the effects on of these in uh, in embryonic development. Thank you. Hi, we're here. Beautiful talk. Um, so that's really fascinating to me because, you know, in the context of the embryonic stem cells, they basically form their own environment, their own niche in a way. Um, when you show that at the four stage cells, um, there's already kind of state specification. Have you thought maybe to kind of take those cells with the low mRNA to put them in the context of other cells that actually have low, how plastic this system is. And I think from the perspective of, do they maintain some type of a memory that they were previously kind of low, low mRNA on that particular state? And your thoughts, thoughts about that? Yeah, thank you for asking the question. We've been thinking about these experiments, uh, dissociating the cells and choosing the cells that are more pluripotent like cells than other cells. Um, we are setting up the, the the system to be able to do it in the lab. Just to remind you, when I arrived to the lab, there were not even animal protocols to work with, so I had to start from zero. And then now we're just becoming more and more developmental biology. And, uh, and then we want to do these kind of experiments before I leave. Yeah, thank you. So if there are no other questions, let's thank Dr. Butrago Delgado again for a terrific talk.